0: Welcome to the first Scottish Housing News podcast. It's a special year for the Scottish Housing News because it's 20 years since it all began. And this podcast is just one of some big changes which we hope will make Scottish Housing News even more successful. Today, we're talking about housing and climate change with Theresa Bray from Changeworks and the Existing Homes Alliance. And we've got David Bookbinder from the Glasgow and West of Scotland Forum. Kieran, we should introduce ourselves.
1: Jimmy, you've been described as a poacher-turned-gamekeeper. Why is that? Well, long ago I used to work for
0: Shelter and I used to lambast local authorities whenever I could because of the kind of service that they sometimes provided. But um, later on I became housing convener at Dundee City Council, so other people lambasted me. And I remember <laughs> when I got my first letter from Shelter telling me I was doing a rotten job. So um, that,
1: Was that a badge of honour then?
0: It was a badge <laughs> of honour, Absolutely. <laughs> Kieran, what about you?
1: You're the editor of the Housing News, tell us the rest. I joined the local news agency right after graduating from the University of Dundee and before I did much work on Scottish Housing News I was reporting on stories for local and national press but for more than a decade now I've been the editor of Scottish Housing News and our sister publication Scottish Construction Now.
0: So time now to turn to Theresa, Theresa Bray who is the Chief Executive of Changeworks and she's also on the board of the Existing Homes Alliance. Theresa, the Existing Homes Alliance put out a manifesto for the last parliamentary election. Did it get anywhere? Did the politicians listen? Are you seeing any progress?
2: The Existing Housing Alliance did call for areas such as well the focus on the climate emergency the need for regulation for all sectors, the social housing sector has often been working with, whether it's the energy efficiency standards for social housing one and now e- each two, for a long time. But for the other sectors, sort of regulation has been much slower in coming. I think we we call for the firm regulation there has recently been the launch of the heat in building strategy uh, in Scotland, which is um, much more detailed than the one that was launched in England earlier this week which hit the headlines Um, and it is it is well structured it does sort of cover the aspects from the need to plan at a local authority level to look at what your local heat and energy efficiency strategy is going to be so you combine the needs of social housing um, private sector but also uh, commercial properties as well to actually look at the overall need for heat and the energy efficiency. Uh, And one of the other areas that the uh, Existing Homes Alliance very much focuses on is the the need for just transition, and just transition could be just one of those uh, buzzwords that slips off people's tongues, but we're very clear that it's got got to ensure that all sectors of society are able to make that transition to um, the the sort of society we're going to have to be living in to achieve net zero. And one of the aspects is we're well aware that for social housing, although often you have the landlords are more uh, are physically do things more easily than a lot of um, working with millions of owner occupiers or the private rented sector, which is particularly difficult to work with. It's got to be at a cost that is affordable to to tenants as well, and that when we start looking at um, sort of the costs of some forms of new he- uh, heating, the decarbonisation of heating there's cost both associated with the installation, and that's obviously a major issue for, for social landlords because difficult decisions have got to be made sometimes between um, putting in different approaches to heating with the other calls on their, their finances, but also that it's got to be affordable for um, the, the people living in, in these homes, that the, the tenants and people who, and who do need additional support, there's often, there is going to be a difference in how we heat our homes with, when decarbonisation takes place.
0: Theresa, can I just interrupt there and say that your achievements in getting more regulation are wonderful, but is any of that any use at all if there's no money?
2: Well, within the heat and building strategy, there is a commitment to for, for more money over the coming term of the parliament. The Scottish Government has committed 1.8 billion pounds is going to be spent and that does include funding directly for social housing, 200 million for social housing that will be available uh, for di- uh, direct funding. But there's also further opportunity to fund innovation and pro- budgets. It is always a challenge, I know, for social landlords when they're going for innovative approaches, because they're, ca- it's, they're not totally risk-free. But there is some funding available. There should be more, and I think that's going to be one of the things that's going to be important that we ensure happens. It isn't just funding from government that we should be seeking. Uh, there's a need for how do we work with um, the, the other players in the market, in your trailer, that's sort of your head. There's a lot of deals about very attractive finance rates that's available now for social housing. There will be other funding available for a good return on, on uh, net carbon areas. So there will be that need to how you live in private finance, um, but also the utility companies are, are going to be Having to find new innovative ways to um, meet meet their targets, and I'm sure certain that there's a role for social housing to play in that. So, yes there is some money available? No doubt, we would. Everyone would argue for more money, but it isn't um, all going to be falling on the, the the shoulders of the the landlords.
0: Okay, Kieran, you wanted to come in here.
1: Yeah, it's been said by the the Climate Assembly said that Scotland needs to retrofit the majority of existing homes to be net zero by 2030. Does this heat and building strategy set us on the path to do that?
2: It's the the heat and building strategy does does have some ambitious targets. They are certainly in Scotland putting a range of mechanisms in place. I think with this it's quite interesting to if you look at the overall statistics, Scotland is in a better position in terms of the energy efficiency of our homes and hence does use less energy per household than um, they do down south, despite our, us having colder winters. it is putting together the, the, the it has got a structured approach. There are some very ambitious targets, such as there um, in the, the late uh, 2020s, they're going to be install, looking to install 200,000 heat pumps per annum in Scotland, whereas sort of prior to the pandemic, there were only 3,000 heat pumps installed. So there are huge differences there. Um, there is Energy efficiency has been an important part of it. There are issues there the government's aware of and they are working on, like the need for a good supply chain to support it, the need for support for householders. So the building blocks are there, it's sort of there's, there's certainly some of the money there. Um, I'm generally a positive person and I think we can get there. Um, but even if we a bit, so, uh, fall a bit short, we're better trying than just saying that it's not achievable. So. I'd be optimistic that yes, we can be putting things in place and that um, there is a lot of opportunity there for social housing to be leading the way in ways that can benefit sort of both the organisations but also the tenants as well.
0: Thank you. David, um, have you, some, as somebody who represents houses from housing associations in the west of Scotland, um, is there anything about this agenda and about Theresa's positive optimism that worries you at all?
3: Yeah, I, I mean, you, you want to be you want to be optimistic as Theresa said, you, we, with big agendas like this, I mean, certainly in the past on energy efficiency, I think the housing association sector, you know, has tried to take a lead, tried to innovate, often in conjunction with with bodies like uh, uh, Change Works and, uh, uh, and other similar bodies, and in a way, we were, you know, I think the sector is 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 is, is ready to do that again, but. This time it feels like there's a couple of things that are really, really different and maybe will cause a little bit more hesitation um, in the pace maybe uh, at which we go, go forward. But I do want, you know, I, I like to reason, I want to remain, you, you know, positive about, you, you know, how can, you've got to be positive about something that's about saving the planet. It's just about how we, how we get there. So the things I think are a bit different this time, it, certainly in social housing, and I'm going to come to private housing because that's a big, big part of the agenda. But I think with social housing, we, we're talking about the law of diminishing returns here because our our housing is generally more energy efficient than the average. It's more energy efficient than than private housing. Um, so you've got a law of diminishing returns where you've got to spend that quite a lot of money to get, you know, to get up to, you know, EPCB as it is at the moment in the jargon. Um, uh, and, and that's where it, if previously we've largely done energy efficiency works in housing associations without external funding um, and it's come from mainly rents then i think that's different this time i think we need something as, as, as teresa said part of the just transition is thats is that there isn't an, a disproportionate burden uh, on, on those who can least pay, and that applies both to energy efficiency works themselves, and then later on to the renewable heating systems that we're putting that we're putting in. Um, so I think uh, you know th- there will be a way uh, to see if if you know the, the sorts of funding levels that have been announced in you know in, in the heat building strategy. We're going to need uh, you know e- even more than that. Uh, um, talk about the overall housing sort of bill being being 33 billion or something you know for to get to the to get to where we want all the all the sectors uh, to get so that's the first hesitation I think we're going to need some external funding and not just rely on rents. the second thing is there is there's a lot of greater awareness if we'd been talking about energy efficiency maybe the first each five six seven eight years ago whenever it was we weren't talking about there wasn't as much consciousness about rent levels uh in the social sector there is there is a lot greater consciousness now that's partly because of covid but but just general economic pressures and social pressures on on tenants in particular and so i think that notion that well look if we just put the rent up seven percent we can finance quite a lot of this Um, and you were talking about some of the loan financing deals earlier you know loan uh, financing more stuff from loans than from grants uh, means means it's coming out of the rent so there's a really much greater sensitivity about about rents now and inflation you know what is it now 3% uh, uh, um, nearly 5% if you look at RPI um, there's a lot of sensitivity about about where we go with 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 rent um,
0: David can I, can I just uh, ask you I mean someone again who represents an organization that contains housing associations that are very small and kind of middle size is any of this a threat to the viability of housing associations in in the west or, or in general
3: i mean it, no it, it because because rent rents it, that that i find it difficult to believe that anything like that would would that, that that scottish scottish i mean scottish government likes the work of community-based associations which come in all sizes of course but they're all very local that's what really really characterizes and you're right jimmy i mean we have a, a disproportionate number of probably smaller and medium-sized uh, associations, but no. I mean, this has got to be properly funded. It doesn't matter whether you've got 500 or 5,000 or 50,000 houses. You, you know, if you put too much money, uh, if you try and do it all yourself without without government grants, your rents are going to your rents are going to rocket. That's, you know, or, or or you know, you 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 put your viability at risk. No no housing association of any size is going to is going to go near that, and I don't think. I, it's not a worry, I don't, I don't think the regulator will be worried about that, I don't think the Scottish Government, uh, I don't think anyone should be, should be worried about that. Okay. that, that is, it just cannot happen that way.
0: Theresa, can I ask you, um, you also work with Changeworks as we said, are there any interesting schemes, anything, anything that you're involved with through Changeworks which you think might point the way forward for landlords in general? Can, can you give us some concrete examples?
2: Yeah, I think there's there's quite a lot of different examples. We are working with a lot of housing associations at the moment, looking at their each two planning and tying in with their maintenance cycles. Because I think one of the things we're very keen to avoid um, additional costs taking place because an unplanned approach is being taken. Uh, So that is, it may not be um, resulting in sort of um, immediate things on the ground, but actually planning ahead can make a big difference, look at the financial viability. In terms of some sort of the more interesting um, schemes that we're looking at, um, one of the things is, is combine how you combine um, uh, electricity generation, normally through PV, with battery storage and, and um, electrical heating as well. And the, one of the interesting things about the uh, electricity generation is that its uh, energy usage is that it varies considerably during the day that um the electricity that's used at night time is uh, sort of 50 to 100% less than that's that's used at peak times during the day and that can make electricity much cheaper at certain times of the day and we were working to see well how can we ensure that um socializing tenants can benefit from this rather than just the uh, middle class people who are into the have their electric vehicle plugged in at night time and charging at night time and there are usually so by introducing battery storage, it means you can avoid the peak times where electricity is much more expensive, um, both by storing electricity you've generated yourself, but also from the grid there. And this will be part of the long-term solutions. Um, currently, the aggregation tariffs that they're, as they're called, sort of are are quite variable, particularly at the moment with high energy prices. So we're thinking, how can you provide both the comfort for the the and security for low-income families that they can access this newer technology. Um, A further area we're looking at is storage heaters. You mentioned in tower blocks a large number of storage heaters. Storage heaters similarly could be a very important part of the whole um, low-carbon network because they are are like batteries. Instead of storing electricity, they're storing heat. A lot of our storage heaters are very old, um, sort of, sort of, which is is a major issue that they're very ineffective, both and don't give people the control they're after. But there are, are several different ways that you can retrofit old storage heaters. I know Glasgow Housing Association is looking at this to uh, look, just look at your heating controls, so you can retrofit those to actually take advantage of the cheaper tariffs and give more control. But we're also looking at uh, high heat retention storage heaters. And whether that, combined with use of um, aggregation and timing charging, will be able to give a service to better service to housing associations. Uh, Theresa, can I
0: can I just jump in on you there and, and bring in David Bootblinder? I'm going to put this in the worst possible way, but how would you sell to tenants the idea that they'll have to give up their gas boilers and have storage heaters?
3: Well, I think I think that's a good question, and, and actually, as a layperson, not as a not as a housing person, when I was listening to Theresa, then um, I mean, I'm I'm incredibly fascinated that that storage heat, for instance, might be one of the answers because my. You know, I'm, a, I'm an old geezer. One, I'm, I remember arriving at holiday cottages, you know, in the Highlands and in the Lake District, which had storage heaters in the middle of winter, which which were never weren't on when you wanted them to be on. You couldn't mess with them. You couldn't you couldn't control them yourself. Um, and then, obviously, they came on at night when you when you didn't want it. Um, as Teresa said, it's all about being able to control. If, if there is a new breed of storage heat. Um, that is totally controllable, and it really has to be, and and equally with the heat pumps, the heat networks, all the the new systems that are being looked at um, have got to be completely controllable by the individual and easily so as well, because otherwise, as you say, Jimmy, it's that, you know, the the loyalty and the dependence on gas, for those of us particularly in urban areas, it's very hard to move away from that.
0: David, you wanted to get into the issue of private renting and how how those houses get brought up to up to standard.
3: I think the ownership issue is fascinating. It's been interesting to see some of the very recent published, I think, in the BBC earlier this week, which might have been sort of English based, but still, you know, applies everywhere. Of that growing consciousness that owners are going to have to, you know, going to have to fork out, you know, quite a lot of money, um, certainly for the renewable heating systems. I mean, obviously. For housing associations, the main issue with with owners, some of whom are private landlords within that sort of owned property, um, is it has traditionally been about not being able to pay or not willing or able to pay their share of capital works for energy efficiency. That is an ongoing. That's still an ongoing issue as we try and do up property uh, uh, in our blocks in housing association and obviously local authority housing department blocks. To EPCB, uh, uh, that's a real, real challenge because there's going to have to be carrots and sticks for owners uh, to on energy efficiency works. Um, let alone what what comes, what sort of carrots and sticks there are on putting in renewable heating systems. I think that's an absolute fascinating sort of political issue because no politician of any colour likes telling owners how to run their affairs including even owners in communal blocks where you think that you know there is got to be some sense of, of joint sort of uh, uh, social responsibility if, if you like. So that's going to be fascinating because we' we'll not we'll not achieve climate change targets if, if, if owners don't come to the fore in, the, in in the next in the next few years don't think we can leave owners to the end because that's where the greatest energy efficiency savings are to be made in private housing. So don't think we can um, we, we, we can leave that till, sort of, towards 2045.
1: You know, we've been reaching out to individual housing associations to contribute to our COP26 feature. Is there any best practice going on with your members?
3: It's funny. It's funny you ask, Kieran because we've been. We were right now. I'm looking for a, a, a couple of associations to contribute to a session that we're doing after COP, actually, at one of yeah. our events on retrofit, and it, it, it is a bit more challenging to find. The retrofit examples. There's obviously quite a few new build examples, and there'll be more and more of those. You know, we're keen to do a, a, a trawl of our members to see if there are any other uh, retrofit, as opposed to new build examples. I think the new build examples go back almost twenty odd, twenty odd years. And another thing that I'm, I'm I, you must allow me to throw in is, of course, which some of some people, some listeners will be familiar with, which is the uh, cash project at Southside. There to look at uh, passive doing a passive house retrofit of a tenement, a stone tenement. So that's, that's a really, really, loads of eyes on that to see to see how that emerges. But we, we don't have so many retrofit examples as we would like.
0: Well, we have so many tenements in Scotland that um, we've got to find a way around that. I noticed that the journalist Leslie Riddich in The National this morning is um, saying that we've got to stop thinking about individual solutions for individual houses. She's saying that district heating schemes is a way forward, that's what they do in Europe and we've really got to give up the idea of a heat pump in every house. Um, maybe in rural areas she says that's okay but she doesn't. She, th- she just thinks it's the wrong thing to do for individual houses. Theresa, have you got any response to that?
2: Uh, I, there's definitely a role for, for district heating. I'm sitting here in a tenement in Edinburgh and we are certainly we couldn't have individual heat pumps heating our homes i guess we could be looking for storage heating as an alternative but uh electricity was retrofitted to the house i'm living in and there we are similarly heat could be equally retrofitted you get somewhere like um if if you go up to shetland where you've got the in in Lerwick, they do have community heating taking place there um, it's definitely one of the areas we should be looking at because, as we, as Leslie rightly points out, Scandinavian countries, when we went for the rush, rush, uh, rush for gas to install lots of gas boilers through the housing, they opted to go for district heating, which gives them much more flexibility to change and mix their heating sources and for looking at energy storage. So there is definitely a role for, for district heating. It does take slightly longer to, to have that and that's one of the key roles that local authorities have got to t- play this pivotal role in planning ahead to make that happen um, in rural areas already for those people who've got lpg or oil heating um, putting in um, air source heat pumps makes sense financially it is much cheaper for them uh, and the running costs and the also one of the other major risks is the variability of those prices because often what hits tenants is where you get prices going up and down hugely. So in rural areas, yes, definitely air source heat pumps, and for parts of urban areas where you've got more dispersed properties. We are hopefully going to be looking for a, a trial of sort of much smaller, sort of taking these four in a blocks that you often get, where can you put in a local district heating system for that four in a block that could, to start off with, be linked maybe to a ground source heat pump, because there's often a fair amount of room about those, but then you could look to um, how do you then leak up, link up these networks. So there is sort of early work being done, but it does need to be scaled up and really that need for urgent planning ahead um, and being prepared to take the bold step to, yes, we will need to have our pavements dug up for this to place, for uh, this to take place. Um, it's not something we've been embracing recently, but then it will be definitely part of the mix.
0: I'm glad to see that Dundee City Council, when I was there, a district heating system for the Delfield Multis one gas boiler which um, serves all four buildings and it seems to have been pretty successful and we did that in another place as well so you know it's it's there it's happening but maybe it needs to happen more as you see and wherever it's appropriate Jimmy I'm
3: not I was going to ask Teresa a question about district heating again I'm not attacking so forgive my ignorance but if you put a big district heating scheme into Council or housing association housing, which has lots of owner occupiers in it because of the right to buy or whatever. Um, presumably, the, the, the you have to get buy-in from the uh, from the owners. It doesn't get over that problem. I haven't read Leslie Riddick's article, but I don't think it's as simple an answer as she might be suggesting because of the owners issue. Uh,
2: I think that that is definitely going to be what part of the the regulation that the Scottish government is looking at, and and how do you um, it in, in well. They've been looking both for, for non-commercial for commercial properties, how do you get buy-in, as well as for the private sector. If you look to somewhere in, in sort of on Shetland, there that actually it's been a gradual approach that's been taken. People have opted to join as it comes along. And it there is the difficulty that you are um how do you enforce people to take part? There may have to be changes to the tenement act to encourage the owners to take part but if you're going to be actually looking at the gas network no longer being there, and gas heating has been the option, there, there will be this issue, do, do those private rented properties, do they end up on resistive electrical heating at huge cost to the tenants living there, or are they actually attached to a local heating network? And what, so how can you uh, empower the, the people living in those properties to actually require the landlord to take advantage of better options there? Um, Certainly, some of the standards, I'm well aware that in the private rented sector, you have a gas boiler breakdown and the landlords will see, well, you could actually, we will provide a few bar heaters to keep you warm instead at much higher cost. So how can you ensure you maybe expand the repairing standard to ensure that those private rented sectors are there? Regulation is going to have a role, but enforcement as well is going to have to be a role because yes, there are very good private rented sector landlords. But there are also ones who are are not prepared to invest their properties. Similarly, looking at the owner occupiers, um, there's got to be support for those owner occupiers who actually really need it. But there is that expectation as well that people are going to have to invest in their homes. We've been looking very taking a very short term view and you can about investment in your homes, the amount of money that people are prepared to invest in their their kitchen whilst they still have a, a leaky roof is it's quite astounding. So there is going to be that need there. We're going to have to, how do we build that acceptance in society that we've got to invest for the future? And by introducing things linked to, say at the point of sale that's taking place or major improvements, that it's one of the costs that's going to be happening um, to actually build it in.
3: I get to that point, Jimmy, where you, one person's looking at the neighbour and saying, oh, they've got a heat pump. I want one of that Clearly, right? a big change in culture, eh?
0: I I was going to say that um, your visitors, you know, they see your kitchen, but they never look at your roof. So where are you going to spend your money? Uh, I think we should wrap this this discussion up. Now, thank you very much. It's been fascinating. You've raised some great questions. And I think these are all things we're going to explore in future podcasts, if we have any future podcasts. So thank you very much, David Bootbinder from the Glasgow and West of Scotland Forum of Housing Associations. And thank you, Teresa Bray from Changeworks and from the Existing Homes Alliance. Well, if you want to find out more, find us online at scottishhousingnews.com and please send us your feedback. You could maybe use our social media platforms, which you can find in the podcast notes.
1: And if you haven't already, please sign up to our free daily newsletter. Thanks
0: and thanks for listening. Goodbye. Bye-bye.